There you go. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, I've been out and about for the last couple of weeks, but it's really good to be back home and to be here and to see all of you lovely people and to be part of this worship service and congregation. I love you guys. There's no place like home. Okay, so I was at this conference uh, on science and theology and uh, for three weeks. And on the one hand, it was positively miserable because I've never been away from my adorable wife this long, and so I was lonely, sad, and despairing. Honey, I love you. Uh, it was really tough. Being away from family and friends was, was real, real rough. On the other hand, there was some redeeming qualities to the whole thing. Um, uh, really had some great discussions and hanging out with 20 theologians uh, who would meet with a scientist every morning and they'd talk about some recent advances in science. And we're, our job was to figure out what are the philosophical and theological implications of these new developments. So it was just really a stimulating time. Um, what I didn't expect to happen was that I would have a lot of fun on top of that. Uh, usually when you get together with brainiac sort of people, uh, you know, you have interesting discussions, but they're not really known for their partying skills. And so I wasn't expecting to have fun in that area. But it turned out we had a lot of fun. Uh, the one guy in particular was there. He may be in the service here. Uh, Dean, are you here? Dean, are you, did, you, did you make it to church? Ah, Dean, I love you, dude. I love you. This is Dean Zimmerman. Uh, the, guy's, the guy's insane, all right? He's just technically insane. Yeah, he's got a monster brain. He's got Ivy League school fighting over him uh, to come and teach at their schools. This guy's just, in terms of metaphysics, off the chart. Uh, but uh, this guy likes the strangest music I've ever heard in my life. Dude, I, he's listening to some obscure 70s and 80s bands that are just weird. And he likes weird shows, very weird shows. I'm talking bizarro shows. Uh, what was the name of that show we saw on Spirals? Uzumaki. You got to go out and get this show. Uh, a, it's one of these Japanese horror flicks. And um, a town is invaded by Uzumaki, uh, which are spirals. They're attacked by spirals. They, they become obsessed with spirals, and they start turning into spirals. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it was really funny. What's even funnier is then he'll theologize and philosophize about the spirals. It was just hilarious. He also got the whole group just about turned on to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I, I, I apparently ran for a couple of six years or so before, and now it's not running. But uh, it started with, I think it was just you and I and maybe one other person started watching it. Uh, but the word caught on, and by the end of the conference, you had at least half of these brainiacs in this room watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, uh, I mean, she has got some cool moves. I mean, this gal can fight vampires like nobody I've ever seen. Um, and it's good humor. It was good humor. And I know some people here probably are kind of a queasy about joking about vampires, but, but let's cut each other some slack, you know. And the only reason I did it was because he dragged me into it, really. I, I never would. <laughs> and we had some good theology about the symbolism in Buffy the Vampire. And we talked theology at points, a couple times anyways, you had these... 20 brainiacs or 10 brainiacs in the room uh, getting choked up over Buffy. That poor girl, she's lonely. She's alone in the world. She doesn't get to live her teenage life. And there are some tragic moments there. I saw tears in your eyes, Dean. I, it was, which even made it kind of funnier. All that is to say this. You're thinking, okay, well, is there a point to this? It always helps if you have a point when you're public speaking. Here's the point. I was inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, I think, as I was putting together my thoughts on what God would have me share uh, this morning out of the, out of the Word. Uh, and so I want to entitle this message, My Life as a Vampire. 
This is the artwork of Jim LePage, who somehow took my face, put it on Dracula, and the sad thing is you can't tell the difference. I mean, it's, it looks very natural. My life as a vampire, so we're reading out of the Gospel of Luke. We're up to uh, chapter 8, verse 16. This is what we do here at Woodland Hills Church. We just go through the Bible, and we're doing the book of Luke for the last couple dozen years, and we're up to verse 16. So here's what it says. No one lights a lamp. That whole idea of light is what got me thinking about this. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Okay, maybe if they're not all there, sane-wise, but a normal person doesn't put light a lamp and hide it under a bed. Instead, you put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Really, it can also be translated, can see by the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed ultimately. No secrets in eternity. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And Jesus is saying, live that way now. Therefore, in light of that, in light of this coming time when all secrets will be made known, be careful how you listen. That's an interesting kind of phrase. Listen, listen carefully here. Uh, the, you can listen in a way to, to get information, but that doesn't change you. Jesus is saying, listen in a way that you will apply what I'm about to say. And here's what he says. Those who, ha- who have will be given more. As for those who do not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. Are you listening carefully? Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. So someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And Jesus replied, and this could be heard as being kind of rude, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put, them in, put it into practice. And then he doesn't go out to see his mother and brothers. Here's another passage I want to read. Uh, continuing on the vampire theme, Jesus said to them, Verily, very, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But on the other hand, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What does that mean? We'll get to it in a moment. Let's pray. Father, We don't have any confidence at all in human speech in and of itself any more than we have any confidence in music in and of itself. But we trust you to impregnate the words as you impregnate the music with your spirit, with truth, with kingdom. And ride the words into our minds and into our hearts to transform us, to make us more thoroughly committed, transform kingdom revolutionaries than we were when we came here. Let it be done, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we were theologizing about Buffy, the vampire slayer, it occurs to me, I learned some things about vampires that I probably knew before, but I remembered them during this odd conference I was at. Um, The vampires have to live in the dark. They can't stand natural sunlight. They have to avoid it at all costs. They live in the dark, and they feed off of people. They have to drink blood to stay alive, uh, and they're perpetually hungry. And as we were deeply philosophizing about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it occurred to me that that is something of a metaphor for human existence. At least human existence apart from Jesus Christ. We live in the dark, and we feed off of people. Here's what I mean. I use myself as, as an example. 
Before I knew God, before I came to know God through Jesus Christ, before I entered into the light, I lived in darkness. In fact, the Bible says that all human beings live in darkness. Um, I was in the dark about who God was. I had some screwy ideas about God being the cosmic zapper whose main job was to sit up there and push the earthquake buttons and the, and the malaria buttons and the AIDS buttons, and I didn't like that God very much at all. So I got to the point where I didn't believe in him. And now I'm in the dark about reality. I don't know what reality is all about, what the ultimate cause of reality is. I was in the dark about whether there's a point to anything. I was in the dark about whether there's a purpose to life. I was in the dark about who I am and, and what my value was, what, what, what my role is in life. I was in the dark about why I was always so empty. And so were you. We don't always think in those terms, but I always felt a sense of emptiness and alienation, even going back to junior high school. Uh, and I didn't know why. I, I knew that on some level I was hungry. I wanted something to fill me, and I didn't know what it was. So you try a bunch of different things. But see, if you're not getting your life from the true God, you were created to get life from the true God, to get full, to get worth, to get significance, to get security, to feel fully alive by a relationship with the true God. And if you're not getting that, you're hungry. But if you don't know the true God, then you don't know why you're hungry. But you've got to feed yourself. So I was in the dark about who God was, what life was about, why we exist, and why I'm hungry. But because I'm hungry, I have to feed. And if you're not getting your life from the true God, Pretty much you got to get it from other people. And so we do a lot of different things to try to get life. I look back on my life before Christ and I was a vampire trying to suck life off of people by getting attention, by getting acceptance, by getting affirmation, by getting respect. I did it in a lot of different ways. I did it by trying to be the baddest kid in the class because that got me some life. I did it by, by trying to be the best drummer in the world. I got into a band that was pretty good and, and that got me some life. People look up to you when you're in a cool rock band. So I'm, I'm drinking life off of people. I did it by trying to date a lot of different girls and the, the best girls in the class and that was a way of trying to get some life. I did it for a while by trying to be good in sports. Uh, which worked for me when I was younger because I grew up fast and I could beat everybody, but then they caught up to me and that source of life just dried up. But all of it is, I'm sucking blood here. You see, I'm trying to get worth and value and significance. And when you would get it, you, I would feel a little bit of life for a, for a little amount of time. It felt good. But in time, you wake up hungry and you got to do the whole thing again. And I believe it's the main driving force behind society. People trying to get life. People are scavenging for a morsel of worth, uh, a value, to feel like their life is significant, that it amounts to something. I think it's what drives human beings more than any other single drive you could ever point to. And there's a million different ways you can do it. Some people get their life by, by uh, you know, their, their, the, the size of their house and the slickness of their car. Other people try to get life by pouring thousands of dollars into trying to stay young and, and youthful. Some people get life by their athletic skills or try to get life by how brilliant they are. Or some people try to get life by just how big their bank account is, by how famous they are, by their reputation. They're sucking blood out of people. They're trying to get life, making their life a little bit significant. But it never really works. Well, for a while it feels good, but you wake up empty and you got to do the whole thing again. And the, the, the worst form of vampirism, trying to suck life off of people, is about, is, has to do with religion. Because religion brings a, a divine sanction to the blood-sucking. And so you get a group of people that are getting life by the rightness of their beliefs and the rightness of their behavior as they judge and contrast themselves with others. They're sucking life out of people, but now it's got divine authority to it, they think. And that's why religion is one of the most violent forces in human history. When people start feeding off of other people in the name of some deity or other, some god or other, 
uh, it gets really, really nasty. A lot of what's going on in Iraq right now and a lot of what's going on in Lebanon right, Lebanon right now are religious vampires feeding off of one another. It causes massive conflict. The thing is this. If you're not getting your worth and significance and fullness of life but out of a relationship with God, you can't help yourself any more than the vampires and Buffy and the Vampire Slayer can help themselves. You've got to feed. You're hungry. You, you don't even make a choice to do it. You just do it. You find yourself doing stuff to try to get affirmation, respect, worth, and value, and things of that sort. Unlike Buffy the Vampire Slayer, however, there is a cure for vampirism. Thank God for that. And the cure is to just come into the light. And that brings us to the passage that we're reading this morning. What is the light that we're supposed to come into? What is the light that Jesus is talking about? Now, in my early Christian days, I was uh, saved in a, in, a, in a church, as some of you know, that um, uh, it had some light into it. I, I discovered some light there, but it also had a lot of this religious vampirism that we're talking about. And what I was taught about the light, and what I think probably some of you were taught about the light, is that uh, the light is sort of your holiness. So to let your light shine is to let your holiness sort of shine. Uh, it, you're supposed to say, kind of, look at me. And, and, and you do it with sincere motives because you want people to know what God's done in your life. But it's a form of evangelism. To let your light shine is to be you know, out there with, with your good works and, and um, uh, you know, to, to then, then tell people about Jesus Christ. And that's not entirely wrong. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. The church that I was first uh, came to know the Lord in, uh, they, they saw it like this. I mean, this was a really pretty intensely legalistic church. So... To let your light shine meant that you don't go to movies like other people and you don't, go, you don't drink like other people and you don't go to sporting events like other people and you don't smoke like other people and the guys all keep their hair short when, in a time when everyone else's hair is getting long and, and the girls all keep their hair long when everyone else is keeping their hair short and the girls never wore pants. They have to wear dresses and it has to be uh, below the knee and uh, a ton of other rules like that. And you're letting your light shine by doing those behaviors and, and you're bringing glory to God uh, by doing those sorts of behaviors. Look at me, and that will glorify God. And it was a form of witnessing. I never thought it worked very well, frankly. I, I couldn't quite see the logic of it. There was one time when we were, uh, I was first in this church, didn't really know much, but it's the only kind of Christianity I, I, I knew, so I went with it. But we were going out snow, uh, uh, tubing uh, on snow at this place where you could do that. You rent out tubes, and you go down the hill. And it's about 10 degrees outside. And remember, this is a church where the girls don't wear pants. They have to wear uh, uh, dresses. <laughs> Burr. Um, so what happened is uh, the, the, the girls put snow pants under their dresses, uh, which looked positively bizarre. Uh, these, the, the dresses kind of came out like southern bells or whatever. And I asked the question, well, if you're going to wear snow pants, why don't you just wear the snow pants? Why put the dress on? And they said, well, because God doesn't like w women to wear pants. What, to which I responded, can't God see through the dress? I mean, I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, they responded by saying, well, okay, God can see through the dress, but, but we want to let our light shine, and we want people to know that it's not appropriate for women to wear pants. And they got it out of some Old Testament verse I don't even remember. But that, that was their view. Uh, and I didn't think that worked either, because even people could see the snow pants underneath the dress. So, so that message isn't getting clear either. But, but on top of all that, I don't know many people that would look at a, a bunch of girls going down snow hills with pants under their dress, dresses and say to themselves, boy, what truth do they have? Can I get in on it? Uh, 
man, that makes me really want to just join their religious club. I, I don't think it worked. I, I think it was a form of religious vampirism where you're sort of feeding off of, uh, uh, off of a contrast that's going on. What does Jesus mean when he says, put your light in a place where it shines? Now think about this. What is the purpose of light? What is the purpose of a lamp? Is it to look at the lamp or is it to be able to look at other things? Mm. You don't light a lamp or turn on a light in order to look at the light. You turn on a light so you can see what's around you. Uh, so you don't bump into things. This last uh, a week ago, I, I left the conference uh, out in Quincy, the science conference, and I had to go to another conference uh, that I was doing on faith and politics, and I was debating Jim Wallace and, and Tony Campolo, and we had a really good time and a good discussion. But I had to sleep in a hotel the night before. And sometimes when I sleep in hotels, you might find this happens to you sometimes. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you don't have a clue where you are? You're, you're disorientated, you know, you're kind of foggy. And um, I woke up at 3 in the morning and I had to go to the bathroom. And so I get up and I, I start, you know, and you're really foggy. I'm not sure where I am or what I'm doing, but I have to go to the bathroom. So I, I'm fondly, I'm kind of feeling for the light. And then I bump my toe on the, on the bed, which totally wakes you up. <laughs> um, and after blessing the Lord, I continue to look for the light. <laughs> and I, I finally found the light. And I turn on the light. And now I remember, oh, yeah, that's where I'm in a hotel room. But when I turned on the light, do you think I sat there and looked at the light? <laughs> no, the purpose for the light is to tell you where the bed is so you don't stub your toe on it. Light, light, light illuminates everything around you. The purpose isn't to say, look at me. The purpose is to shed light on what is real. And that's the kingdom light that Jesus is talking about. When you start to come into kingdom light, you begin to see what is real. When I was a vampire, I was in the dark, and so were you. I was in the dark about who God was, had all sorts of screwy ideas about God, and then I chose not to believe in that God. But when I began to come into the light, and it takes some time to get old ideas out of your head, but as you grow in the light, you begin to see who God really is. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. The first thing that happens as a person begins to get some light is they realize that they're enabled to see reality. And they see the reality of who God is. In contrast to the zapper cosmic God that I used to think God was and the unfair God and other ideas that I had about God, I began to see that God looks like Jesus Christ. The glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. God's the kind of God who dies for you on the cross of Calvary, praying with his last breath, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That's the true God. And if you've got other ideas about God in your brain, that's a sign of darkness. Get rid of it. Look into the light. He empowers us to see who God really is, this God that we sang about this morning, this God of outrageous love and outrageous beauty. That's the true God. When I was a vampire, I was all foggy about who I was and what my worth was. But when you come to see who the true God is, you begin to see who you are. What's real about you? You begin to see the furniture in the room, and part of the furniture in the room is you. And so I look at myself and I realize, first of all, that I'm a sinner who needs to be forgiven. But I also come to see that despite my sin, I'm loved with a love that I can't begin to comprehend. And I've got a worth that I don't need to achieve and that I can't achieve. I've got a value that I don't need to achieve and that I can't achieve because my worth and my value and significance is given to me for free by grace through Jesus Christ. And see, as that happens, there's a third thing that happens. 
as the light is going on and you're seeing the room of reality, you begin to see what the true source of life is. You begin to see how you've been addicted to blood-sucking all these years, just trying to do things to give yourself a modicum of worth. But now that you know who the true God is and what he thinks about you, you discover a new source of life. And this is what Jesus means when he says, let's read it again, John chapter 6. He says, Verily, or very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now he's talking to vampires here, so he's speaking the language of vampires. You want to feast off of flesh and blood? Feast off of me. And this was very offensive to the Jews. In fact, it says right after this that they all left. He lost the big crowd. No longer was he the impressive show in town. Only his disciples stayed there, which is encouraging to my heart in certain situations. Um, But what he's saying here is this. The only way you're going to find real life, the life you've been hungry for, the life you've been trying to suck out of your religious performance and suck off of people's attention towards you and and your reputation, the only way you're going to really discover life is if you eat me. And what he's saying there is this. You've got to grab hold of me and ingest me. Take me into your inner being. Let me nourish you. Don't just know me intellectually. Don't just have a theoretical belief in me. Because theoretical beliefs and information, that doesn't feed anybody. I don't care how true the belief is but rather to have a relationship with God where you have times where he pours his love on you and tells you what you mean to him and and, and tells you how significant you are to him, where you join in the kingdom revolution that is going on so you begin to experience the significance that God gives you. As you do that, you begin to discover what life's really all about, and it tastes good. He's saying, take me into your inner being. Let me into the deepest recesses of your heart. Let me permeate every fiber of your being. And when you do that... Now you'll be living life as God meant life to be lived. He never intended us to be scavengers uh, like, like we so often are. Just competing in the world for a morsel of worth thrown our, our way. He never intended us to live as vampires. He never intended us to be walking around empty. He intended life to be lived as a dance that celebrates the fullness that we get for free. And you only find that fullness when you find Jesus Christ and take him into the inner recesses of your being. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, take me on the inside. I'll show you what life's really all about. And that, folks, that, folks, is freedom. You're, you know, we talk about political freedom and social freedom and all sorts of stuff, and that's fine. But that's not real freedom. Real freedom is when you're no longer addicted to the things of the world. Real freedom is is when you're no longer a vampire walking around hungry. Real freedom is when you're no longer a creature of the night, but you come into the light and you see what's really going on. Real freedom is knowing the true God and knowing who you are and knowing the value of other people. Real freedom is when you, you no longer need to be worried about who thinks what about me or who thinks what about my car or my house or my dress or my hair or whatever because you just don't care because there's no life in that. Real freedom is when you realize how pathetic that way of doing life is. But you can only realize that, you can only see that, and you can only enjoy that kind of freedom when you're feasting on Jesus Christ. So point number one is this. Invest everything in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Get your worth and your significance and your value and your lovability and your security from from what God thinks about you as expressed on Calvary. And as you do that, you realize, you'll come to see, you just don't need those petty ways of getting life anymore. Okay, second point here. What does Jesus mean when he says, put your light on a stand? Don't hide it. What's he getting at there? And what on earth does he mean when he says uh, that the one who has, to him shall be given more. But the one who has not, from him shall be taken 
even what he thinks he has. What's going on with that? Doesn't that sound pretty grossly unfair? Wouldn't you have thought Jesus would say, to the one who has too much from him will be taken to share with the person who doesn't have anything? Now that is what he says in other contexts. But in this context, it's the opposite of that. The one who has is going to get more. The one who has little or nothing at all, he's going to lose what little he thinks he has. What's up with that? It's a weird teaching. You find this teaching, it must be important because it's found several times in different contexts throughout the Gospels. And the place where it's clearest is in Matthew 25. So I want to just do a little brief summary of Matthew 25. This is that parable that's often called the parable of the talents. Uh, I'll contemporize it this way. Jesus tells a story about a boss, and the boss had three employees, and the boss was going away on vacation. And so he says to one of his employees, tell you what, I'll give you uh, $500, and I want you to invest it and uh, make money for me. Then he says to the second employee, you're not quite as talented as that guy, so I'm going to give you $200 according to what you're able, and I want you to make money for me. And then he goes to a third guy and he says, I'm going to give you $1. I want you to make money for me. So he goes away on vacation. He comes back after a long while, and the first guy says, well, you know, you gave me $500 and I made $500 more. And the boss gets excited and says, well done. I'm going to give you even more money on top of that. He goes to the second guy, and the second guy says, well, you gave me $200, and I invested it, took a couple risks, uh, but I, I made another $200. And the, the boss says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives him even more money. He goes to the guy that he gave $1 to, and the guy says, look, it, I know that you're a scary boss, man. You're, you're kind of tough. So I was nervous about losing that $1, so I just hung on to it. Here's your dollar back. And the boss gets furious. And he takes that $1, and he gives it to the guy who's already got $1,000 and more money coming. And then Jesus gives the teaching. To the one who has, to him shall be given, but to the one who has little from him shall be taken even what little he has. The point of the teaching is basically this. That it doesn't matter much, really it doesn't matter at all, what you were given to start with. What matters is what you do with what you were given to start with. How do you you invest? Did you take risks? Do you trust the character of God? Uh, What do you do with what you've got? Jesus applies that to light here. And this is the crucial point here. He uses the money metaphor, the teaching about light. And what he's saying here is this. It doesn't matter how much light you presently have. What matters is what you do with the light that you have. And if you let your light shine, you're going to get more light. But if you hide the light that you have, you're going to lose the little bit of light that you have. What matters is not what you have. What matters is what you do with what you have. Now remember, the purpose of light is to see things. It's not an end in and of itself. So what Jesus is saying here is this. It doesn't matter how much reality you see or how much truth you see, how much is illumined by the light. What matters is what do you do with the truth that you see? How do you respond to the truth that you see? And the more truth you see and respond to it, the more truth you're going to see. You develop a capacity to see more truth. But If you don't act on the little truth that you have, you're going to lose your capacity even to see that little bit of truth. Life is never stationary. We're always in motion. And what Jesus is teaching here, I believe, is this. That our capacity to see light increases or decreases. And that when we respond to the light we have, our eyes get acclimated to the light. And we see more and more light. We see more and more truth. But if we walk in darkness, if we hide the light... Then our eyes get acclimated to darkness. We're going in one of two directions. And you can lose the little bit of light that you have if you don't respond to it rightly. 
Here's, a, here's a, uh, an example. Many, 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 many years ago when I was in grad school, I was the associate pastor of a church. And there's a guy in this church. His name was Larry. And Larry was this burly guy, uh, a real rugged kind of individual. He was a heavy smoker, heavy drinker, and especially a heavy gambler. And his gambling addiction, he was addicted to all those, but his gambling addiction was getting him, getting him into a lot of trouble to the point where his marriage was about ready to blow sky high. And I'm not sure the details of how it all came to pass, but his wife was a Christian, he was not, but he shows up in church uh, one Sunday morning and he gives his life to Christ. And this guy had light. You could see it in his eyes. He came alive. He was seeing, he was seeing some truth here. And uh, it was empowering him to get out of the addictions that were holding him in bondage. There's just a gleam in his eyes, a little bit like Angel in Buffy and the Vampire Slayer when Angel gets his soul back. But you probably don't know what I'm talking about, so I'll move on. <laughs> well, when Angel gets his soul back, there, there's a light that is there. Well, this guy came alive. He had some light, and he responded to it. And he got involved in the church. He got involved in a small group. And, and there just was a beautiful transformation that was taking place. Now, I don't know how it happened, but at some point... Larry fell back into his gambling addiction. And that would have been okay if he would have continued in the light. He saw the truth about how damaging this was. He now knew. But instead of turning the light on it, see, if he would have just said, if he would have come clean and confessed and said, oh, you know, I fell and I, I went back to the horse race tracks and, and, and it got the better of me. In fact, I've been doing that three times now. Well, see, God would have used that confession for, for, to give him more light. Uh, he would have grown in his capacity to appreciate that God's a God of grace and the people of God are a forgiving people. It, it would have been good. It would have been turned to his advantage. But Larry, unfortunately, didn't do that. He hid it. He kept a secret from his family, kept a secret from his small group, kept a secret from the whole truth. And that thing began to eat away at him, and his gambling addiction grew and grew and grew. An issue that's concealed is an issue that can't be healed, and it just grew and grew and grew to the one fateful day. This guy started writing notes. He got into a hole and started writing promissory notes, and he ended up betting his house and all the shares in his company that he was a partner in, and he lost it all. And now his secret is, of course, out of the closet, and his family blows sky high, and it was as ugly as you can imagine something being. Even then, if Larry would have responded according to the light that he saw, uh, his soul would be redeemable. I don't know about his family anymore, but, but, but God would have still turned this somehow to his advantage. But when I talked to Larry, there, this was a guy who was totally different than the Larry that I knew with the gleam in his eye. The gleam was gone. The soul had left. No human being is ever in a position to say that somebody is unsalvageable. We're just not, that's God's business, not ours. But so far as I could see, there was no light left. There was only darkness that was there. He, he didn't even remember why he ever became a Christian. He, he had lost all capacity to see the truth of who God was and the truth about who he was. The point is this. When we hide, when we hide, we invite the prince of darkness in on our life to that degree. That's why he's called the prince of darkness. He needs darkness to operate. When we hide and conceal things that are there, when we put the light under a bushel and pretend like we don't know what we in fact know, we deaden ourselves. We become desensitized to truth. And we start to lose our capacity to see the light, the capacity to respond positively to truth. Life is always in motion. You're going in one direction or another. So it's so important that we stay walking in the light. And what that means is this. 
Never, ever hide. Don't give the enemy a foothold by, by, by concealing stuff that is there. To be a kingdom person is not to say, look at me, look how bright I am. To be a kingdom person is to say, here's what's real about me. The kingdom trades in the commodity of reality, not performance or appearance or, or anything of the sort. And see, it's so crucial that we commit to walking in that light. Scott Peck, the author of The Road Less Travel, said this one time. And it's a great st statement. This is a paraphrase. But he said this. You are as healthy as you are honest. And you are as unhealthy as you are duplicitous. That just means you're double. You are as unhealthy as it is the case that your inside and your appearance don't match. You are as unhealthy as you are hypocritical. That word means a dual. There, there, there's a duality to you. When we hide stuff for the sake of an appearance, we create this duplicity. And, and it, it is a form of sickness. It is a disease. Uh, Scott Peck even says at one point that, that he believes that the foundation of all forms of neurosis are when people choose convenient lies over inconvenient truths. Whatever you do, whatever your situation, don't ever put the light under the bed or in a clay jar. Walk in the light, which means walk in truth, walk in honesty. You sinned, you sinned. Come clean with it. Keep the spotlight on it. Uh, you know, be out loud about that. Uh, confess it to God and confess it to others. You fell back in the porn addiction. Okay, you fell back in the porn addiction. But don't go into hiding on that. If you hide that, it will fester. And the deep conviction you felt about falling into that will start to lessen. The more you hide it, the, de the deader you become. Come clean with it. Confess it. Get it out there in the open. Uh, you got doubts? Okay, you got doubts. Join the human race. We're all recovering vampires here, folks. Uh, join the human race and confess it. Come clean with it. This is why small groups and support groups are so important. We need people in on our life who we can trust, that they're not going to walk away when we are real, when we confess the stuff that's really going on. And God will use that to drive home ever more clearly the truth that our standing before God isn't based on our performance or based on, on how we're doing. It's based on the fact that we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us into our life. And, and we, we give people a chance to prove that they're forgiven and they, their love for us isn't based on our religious performance, but their love is just based on the fact that we're a brother or sister in Christ. Keep the light shining. Walk in the light. Walk truth. Walk honestly. And it doesn't mean that we air our dirty laundry in front of everybody, but it does mean there's got to be groups for whom it's okay to air dirty laundry. This is, this is what is so deadly about religion. Toxic religion. Because if you're in a group that puts a premium on feeding off of people, this is their form of being a vampire, they feed off of the contrast between the in-group and the out-group. If you're in a group like that, then there'll be a premium put on performance and appearance. How things look. And if you're in a group where a premium is put on performance and appearance, you can't be in a group uh, that cares about how things really are. This will be a group that trains people how to act one way when in fact things are a different way. The group that puts on the holy smile and the holy walk and the skipping the step and the praise Jesus out of the lips when in fact there can be real deadly gross stuff that's going on. That's why one of our core values here at Woodland Hills Church is this. How things look is not important. How things really are is what is important. The Bible calls the, the church the community of truth. And the word truth in Greek is aletheia. And it means not covered, not concealed. The church should be the one place where, at least in appropriate context, we can be absolutely real. Far from being a place where you come and everyone looks perfect, which it so often is, it ought to be the messiest looking place in the world because we're all recovering vampires. Amen? But that's what's real. 
Freedom from performance. Don't ever put out the light. Finally, in eight minutes, why does Luke, my third question is this, why does Luke put this episode of Jesus uh, and his mother and brothers uh, coming to get him, why does he put it right after this teaching? It's interesting, but you find this episode in different spots in all, uh, all four Gospels. And the Gospel authors just weren't that concerned with meticulous chronology. They were more interested in themes. So it's sometimes good to ask, what is the theme that the author is trying to get at by putting this episode in this location? If you read John and uh, Mark, you'll find that the reason why Jesus' mother and brothers came out to get him they, was because they thought he was loony. They thought he'd gone nuts. And they were just worried about him. He's given these teachings and doing these deeds that are ticking off the religious authorities, and this can't be good. This guy might get himself crucified. And looking back on it, I think they had a point. So they come out to get Jesus. Uh, they, they later on, uh, at least James and Mary, of course, become followers of Jesus. But at this point, they're kind of confused. They think Jesus is off his rocker. Now, Jesus, Jesus is just being Jesus. <laughs> He's just being honest. He's just being real. He is the Son of God, and this is what he's supposed to do. So he's just, he's just being light. This is what's real. But sometimes when you're light, your family isn't going to understand you. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You see, when you get healthy, the unhealthy system you're a part of might, might not like you very much. When you kick your vampire nature and come into the light, the vampires that have really gotten accustomed to you aren't going to appreciate it very much. Uh, when you're part of a system that, to any degree, uh, has to stay in darkness, where there's no talk rules, and, and you don't mention certain things, and you don't notice certain things, if you become a true speaker that no longer goes along with that, uh, that could be rather unpleasant, and they may not appreciate it very much at all. And this is, I think, what, what uh, Luke is getting at here. Sometimes to follow in the kingdom, it means that you're going to uh, put, bring some distance between you and people you care about very, very dearly. But what Jesus is saying here is this. It may cost you. It may cost you to live in the truth. But live in the truth nonetheless. Uh, Jesus is pro-family. He says, honor your mother and father. He's, he's, he's for biological families. But he's for truth even more than families. He's for health even more than families. He's for honesty even more than families. He's for walking in the light even more than he is for families. And so there may come times where your truth speaking and, and you being a light bearer will come in conflict with the dark of, of your social system. It may come in conflict with the church that you're a part of. If the church you're a part of has some of this dysfunctional vampire stuff that's going on. And Jesus is simply saying, prepare to, prepare to pay a price. But it's absolutely worth it. Under no circumstances ever go back to the vampire way of doing things. There's one lady at our church here who... Um, really was growing in the light, uh, really coming to see who God was and therefore coming to see who she was and therefore coming to see what the source of life was and, and getting her life from Christ and not other things any longer. And the clearer she got about who God was, the clearer she got about who, who her mother was. And her mother was the matriarch of the family that was just verbally and emotionally abusive to everybody. And no one called her on the carpet for it. And this always bothered this lady, but she was part of the system and that's just what this family system does. But as she was growing in the light and really seeing her worth and value, this became more and more unacceptable till there finally came a time where she had to call her mother on the carpet. And it just about blew apart the family. You don't do that in this family. But she basically said this, and it's so important that you say this in a humble way and in a non-judgmental way, 
uh, you know, in a way that affirms the worth of the person you're talking to. But she said, Mother, I love you. So much so that I'm not doing you any favors by letting you treat me and other people this way. And I'm not doing myself any favors by letting you uh, treat me this way. And I'm not doing my grandkids any favors by letting them watch you treat people this way. So here's the deal. I love you. I want to hang out with you. I want you to be involved in my grandkids' life. But you can't talk to us like that any longer. Well, it caused quite a stir. And there was times where she had to just walk out of the house. She would, in grace, people don't change overnight, so she would give a warning. Remember, here's the deal. You don't talk like that to us. She'd give two warnings, but at the third time, she would just leave. And then she'd call a week later saying, hey, we'd love to come over and visit, but here's the deal. You see, bringing light into a family that trades on darkness can be a a very tough thing. There's another lady in this church who uh, comes from a very strongly religious family, and they would get together almost every Sunday, and they'd have dinner. And what they do during dinner is they would feast on people. Uh, Their main topic of conversation was uh, the pastor and the pastor's kids and the pastor's wife and that lady in the church who dares to wear that kind of dress and that lady over there and this person over there, blah, blah, blah. And when they ran the gown on that one, they turned to those wicked sinners out there in the world. And don't you think it's just disgusting what they do? And that's just what this family did. They ate their physical dinner and then they were vampires on on a spiritual level, feeding off of other people. And as this lady comes into the light and begins to know who the true God is and what her worth is and what the worth of other people are, she's feeling really uncomfortable with this. And all she did is just not participate. She would go there, she wants to be part of the family, but she just wouldn't join in. When you stop feeding on people, however, other vampires notice. And so they would say to her, what's wrong with you? And so she would just say, I just don't feel right about talking about people this way. To which they responded by saying, oh, you're judging us? You're, you're a judger. The irony is incredible. And, and <laughs> you see, when a healthy person gets healthy in a system that is to some degree dysfunctional, it, it indicts the system. And there's some work to be done. And there's a couple dozen people that I know of at Woodland Hills Church that have been, in varying degrees, completely ostracized by their family. Jesus is for family. Bring love to your families. Make them work. Invest in them. But never under any circumstances participate in vampire activity. If they're feeding off of people and if they're trading on darkness, you have no choice but to distance yourself from that system. And that's not to say that you have a right to point out everything you disagree with. No, that's arrogant. Don't do that. Don't be rude. Always be loving. Always be humble. You just refuse to act like a vampire. And, and, and you, you work through the issues in as loving and as helpful a way as you can. And if there comes a time where you have to pay the price of being ostracized by your family, what this passage is saying here is this. You've got another family. You've got another family. And if it needs to go down this way, it needs to go down this way. But the ones who are your brothers and sisters on a spiritual level are those who share the value of walking in the light. And we all need that family. We all need people who are our brothers and sisters and mom and dad in Christ, a people who, who, who are walking with you and helping you walk uh, in the light and staying honest and staying open and maybe holding you accountable like the Bible says we're supposed to, to be held. If you're doing life solo, you're in a dangerous position because it's so easy to hide stuff. No one's even going to notice if you've fallen back into your old ways of doing stuff. We need a family around us. And thank God if your biological family can help in that, But if that doesn't work out that way, there's another family. It's called the family of God, the body of Christ. And I encourage us all to be a part of that, to get involved, to develop relationships where we love one another, we serve one another, we do all the one another's of the Bible, including helping one another stay honest and stay open, noticing when something's going off 
uh, out of love, holding a person accountable for things in their life that they've asked you to hold them accountable. That, folks, is the body of Christ. Would you shut your eyes for a moment? And I just want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to seal this message in our heart. Holy Spirit, be working here as I ask three questions. First, are you getting your life from Jesus Christ? Really, be honest. Is he the source of your worth and value and security? Or are you feeding off of people? Do you have an inordinate concern of what others think? That they notice things about you? If that is true about you, will you just hear, ask the Holy Spirit to help you let go of the idols in your life and commit to investing more in your relationship with Jesus Christ? To have him is to have eternal life. Commit to eating his flesh and drinking his blood, ingesting him into your being. Second question, are you responding to the truth that you see? Maybe a little, maybe a lot, I don't know, but are you responding to it? Are you acting on it? It's so important that you do because there's no promise that you're going to see that truth tomorrow if you don't. Somebody here might, for the first time, be seeing the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to encourage you after this service to come up here and pray with our prayer team and accept him as Lord. Act on the light while you see the light because it's not promised tomorrow. You resist this, you get better at resisting this, and there may come a time where you don't see it anymore. Act on it. Are there other truths that God's revealed to you, turned the light on, that you're not responding to? Will you just here commit to acting on the truth that he reveals to you? Respond to it. Holy Spirit, help us make the commitments we need to make. Finally, are you hiding anything? Let the Holy Spirit bring his conviction. Don't resist him. If you resist him, you get good at resisting him. And in time, you stop feeling him altogether. What are you hiding? It could be an attitude. It could be a monumental addiction. And as the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, he's turning the light on the situation. Will you commit in whatever way is appropriate to bringing that out of hiding? It starts by confessing it to God, admitting it. It may be just an attitude that that you don't even want to change right now. Well, if that's where you're at, admit that. Just be honest. Whatever's real, just be real. But will you commit to bringing it out in the open to God and then to somebody or some other people? Shine the light on it. It may feel awkward. It may feel kind of embarrassing. But you get your life from Jesus Christ anyways. And if these are kingdom people, they're not going to walk away from you. They're going to surround you. Maybe that the Holy Spirit will lead you to join the refuge group or some other small group in order to be held accountable. Holy Spirit, do your work here. Seal the commitments that are made. Lord, anyone who's supposed to come forward for prayer at the end of the service or come forward to accept you as Savior and Lord, I pray you'd call them forward and help them to respond. And Lord, as we leave this place, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light, to walk honest, to walk truthful, to be free of pretense and performance and to get our life from you and from nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time, amen. God bless you. Go out and build the kingdom. The altar is open if you want to come forward.